We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. All right, Bears fans, welcome into another episode of the Picks for Polls podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We are recording this episode on a Tuesday here uh, with Thanksgiving right around the corner. There's a lot to be thankful for here, um, for me here, said, especially uh, with everything going on. But before we get to uh, the contents of today's uh, podcast today, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Like you said, a lot to be thankful for. I think for me personally, you know, you and I have been kind of doing this podcast for two years now, and I think that this is episode 130. So, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast and checks out our work at The Bear Report between myself, Zach, Beth, Aaron, Bobby, Sam, you know, we just want to give you all a big shout out. Thank you so much for all the continued support because, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in without the endless support that we're getting from everybody. So thank you. And I hope everyone has a great holiday season. Yeah, it's truly a team effort over here, uh, whether it's at the bear Report or, you know, also gotta be thankful again, like you said, just for all of our listeners on here. Uh, I can't believe that we're 130 episodes into this thing. That's kind of crazy to kind of put that all into perspective. Um, always fun to put these episodes together and, you know, hopefully that this, this episode can be another fun one as well as we have a lot on the docket today as, uh, the bears, uh, coming off of a 27 to 24 loss to the Atlanta Falcons dropping to four straight losses on the season. So, um, bears not doing really well right now in terms of the record wise, but I mean, like we've alluded to many times before over the last month or so, yeah, the bears aren't winning a ton of games right now. Uh, it's kind of frustrating from that aspect of things, but you know, Justin Fields continues to progress and you know play well as the season goes along. Um, you know, we saw some flashes from him once again um, in this game against the Falcons. 
But I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this this game, we kind of talked about it in our post-game recap of this one with Zach. Um, this one kind of felt like a game where the Bears kind of took a step back a little bit because, you know, the offense has been humming pretty well over the past month or so. And in this last one, it felt like the offense, despite the fact that they were going up against a pretty porous defense in the Atlanta Falcons, um, you know, didn't have its best game. You know, in the first half, they scored 17 points, but a lot of that was because they benefited from a lot of short fields and turnovers. Um, you know, Vilas Jones Jr. had a nice kick return that kind of set them up for a drive. Um, you know, some field positioning stuff that kind of helped them out. But the second half um, just w- didn't cut it. You know, they had one really good drive where Justin Fields kind of willed them to a touchdown. But you look at that final drive. You know, this game came down to a final drive once again. It, it seems like you know over the last month, I think it's been four straight games where it's come down to a final drive. Uh, for this Bears offense where they have a chance to go down there and either tie the game or win the game, and they just haven't been able to get it done. So I think that's kind of where we can start this off. You know, what do you make of these offensive struggles, especially late in these games when the Bears have to score late on these final drives? You know, what do you kind of make of that? Well, I think it's simply put an offense that's really a big work in progress. Now, I had this debate with a couple of our subscribers on the Bear Report boards today. Go check out the forums on the website. And one of the things that was specifically mentioned was the fact that all the elite teams in the NFL take, for example, the Eagles, the Bills, the Chiefs, you know, those are teams that are averaging 30 points a game or right around there. But the reality is this, right, is that the Bears have a good quarterback who's engineering a lot of those points, right? Which is good to see because you need a quarterback, you win games because of, not in spite of. But even then the Bears offensive production is still so, so right. Because they don't have a passing attack. They don't have a running game. It seems like we're sitting here and it's a double-edged sword when it comes to this team, by the way, because we're praising Cole Komet, right? And guys like Darnell Mooney. But then the reality is it's like, where are these guys late in games, right? Like that interception that Justin had late in the fourth quarter on Sunday against the Falcons. That's one of those situations you look at in, Say okay, Justin. There's two white jerseys in the area. Were you throwing to Montgomery or were you throwing to Mooney? You know, based on I would guess he option there, right? So it's just like this offense figures out a way to put points, but a lot of it is driven by the quarterback. Because like, how many rushing yards does Justin Fields have that? bail the Bears out in so many situations. Now, the reality of it is this, is that at the end of the day, the scoreboard is completely delusional. And for anyone saying that, yeah, the Bears average 30 a game, true, that's valid. But this is not an offense that, you know, is among the best in the NFL by any means. I mean, it's still a unit, and we'll get into it in a couple minutes here, that is going to have multiple new starters next year. Yeah, I think we all know the offense is a work in progress right now, both from a roster level and from this coaching staff is still kind of figuring out, I think, you know, how to best maximize this group. And I think they have figured out some things as the season gone along. Like they've clearly figured out how to put Justin Fields in position to succeed as a runner more. And that's kind of unlocked a lot of things. But like you said, like I think, uh, you know, Justin Fields doesn't get enough credit for how much he's generating offense for this offense right now, because I mean, I go back to that game and I think I know, I, I know I said it on the post game pod, but I'm going to reiterate here, you know, the game plan felt very predictable in this one where first and second down, they were running it and use is usually some form of a very conservative, you know, style of run. Um, 
on first and second down. And if that didn't get them the first down or if that didn't work really well, um, you know, third down was basically, you know, just, you know, <laughs> bail us out here, do something awesome, you know, extend the play, run around a little bit and see what you, if you can make some magic. And that's just not a very sustainable way of, you know, offense, I think. Um, and, you know, eventually this style of offense is going to catch up to them because teams are going to start playing, you know, their quarterback run packages a little bit better. I think the Falcons actually did a really nice job in this game of playing those, you know, obviously Justin Fields, he's such a dynamic athlete that even if you do play, you know, play it correctly on some of these, like he's still going to make some special plays here and there just because that's who he is um, as a runner. But, you know, the Falcons, I thought they did a really nice job of bottling that up a little bit. Like Justin Fields wasn't nearly as efficient on the ground as he has been in weeks past. Um, and this offense, this, this run game in general, wasn't as efficient as it has been in weeks past. Like I think they're still, they're miss, they clearly miss Khalil Herbert because he adds an explosive dynamic to it that David Montgomery simply just does not have um, from a run game standpoint. But I think when you look at the, the struggles um, for this offense in terms of late in the game, the last few weeks, it really comes down to uh, their passing game. You know, the, you know, they still, you know, as, as for much as like, I think, you know, they found ways to, you know, get some of these guys open. Like Cole Komet's had some moments over the last few weeks. That's been nice to see. We know what Darnold Mooney is as a player. Um, you know, they're still trying to figure out Clay, Chase Claypool and, and get him involved, but we've seen flashes from Dante Pettis and Equinam St. Brown where they've done some stuff. But clearly the weapons on the outside aren't good enough for this offense to really, you know, for Justin Fields to be able to drop back and feel confident that he has guys running open every single time he, he drops back the pass, and that's that's not what's happening right now. Um, you know, there are definitely some misses on tape that are still occurring. But clearly, when we get into these, into these late game situations where you got to have it, where you need someone to step up and make a play, the Bears just don't have anybody on the roster right now that can do that consistently. And I think that's that's really hurt them in these late game situations because you know when you're on script and you're able to do the read option stuff and the run stuff um, and kind of play off of Justin Fields' ability as a runner from an offensive standpoint, like yeah, this offense looks pretty good in those situations because you know, defenses have to factor that into their game plan. But when they're, when you're dropping back the pass, like outside of maybe having a quarterback spy on Justin, or maybe, you know, doing things from a pass rushing standpoint to keep him in the pocket and keep it contained. Like, you know, this, you know, the defense doesn't have to worry about 10 million different things going on for every single given play. And I think that makes it a lot easier. That's where, that's where we see the talent deficiencies really start to pop up for uh, this bears offense. And that extends to the offensive line as well, because the offensive line didn't have the greatest game in this one, I felt, either. Um, and again, it has to be said, like the Falcons, like they have probably the worst pass rush in football. So there were definitely some plays where the pass the pass protection did hold up very nicely. But there are also a lot of others where there, there are breakdowns going on. <clears throat> you know, we're not seeing guys, you know, necessarily block the greatest on some of these on these dropbacks, um, I, I remember there was a stretch where there were back-to-back sacks on two screenplays, and that should never happen um, for uh, for an offense. So, um, yeah, just I, I think it comes down to again talent, and like we said before, like this is a work in progress. You know, they're going to continue to add starters to this new unit. And that's going to kind of lead us into speaking of this offensive line. Our next topic today, you know, talking about you know how this Bears team can go about addressing this offensive line moving forward. So I think what we're going to do for this, you say, is we're going to break this down to kind of three different categories. 
know, who do we think is a long-term building block? Who's, who's someone who we're confident is going to be a starter for them next year? Um, what are some free agent options that the Bears can look at next year? And draft-wise, how do you think this should be handled in the draft? So you say, it, I'll, I'll start with you, based off of where we're at right now, like, you know, who do you think are some of the building blocks of this offensive line, if there are any building blocks? Like, who do you think's who do you think is going to be capable of starting next year for this unit? Well, I mean, there's only one guy that's a legitimate building block, and that's Tevin Jenkins. You give him credit for how he handled the summer, just how he burst onto the scene. Again, this past week, week 11, as well as week 10, he didn't play for two straight weeks because of the hip injury that he had, but you know what, it's not really a big deal because if anything, Tevin Jenkins, I think, was one of those players who slipped in the draft because of the injury concerns that he had. I mean, people are forgetting this is a player who everybody had, and I think you and I did too, we were in consensus that he was a top 20 pick. I remember that 2021 draft class. I mean, you had Rashawn Slater, Christian Derrissaw, Tevin Jenkins, as well as Evan Neal. Like Those were, in some way, shape, or form, your top four, right? And so... To see Tevin turn his career around the way he has has been phenomenal. He's going to be the only legitimate starter. Now, free agency, again, I'm a bit wary of because I'm not a big believer in spending a lot of money. I also think that this year's free agent class, it's, you know, for these offensive linemen, right? You have guys like Eggleton Jenkins who... I still think Eggleton Jenkins is going to be very difficult to pry away from the Green Bay Packers. I mean, there's two things the Bears have running in their favor, which is money as well as the familiarity with Luke Getze. So I think based on looking at past trends, knowing what the general manager Ryan Poles likes to do, as well as what the assistant general manager Ian Cunningham likes to do, these guys love to build their trenches up through the NFL draft. You look at polls. He was in Kansas city for all those years and they drafted probably eight or nine offensive linemen just across the board and spread out. Right. And by the way, one of them was a high pick in uh, Eric Fisher back in 2013. And then you go ahead and you look at Ian Cunningham's time with the Eagles, as well as the Ravens. And they were also two teams that just, took multiple offensive linemen just to be able to have that depth. I don't think we give the Eagles front office enough credit for the way that they've handled offensive line injuries over the last couple of years. Like going back to 2021, they had like 12 different offensive line combinations. But three had right. And they drafted guys and then they had, had solid depth as well, right? So Eagles and Ravens have been really good at that. And then number three, I think it's also important to acknowledge that Matt Eberflus is of a similar mindset. And for him too, it's just more so like, let's build the trenches up through the draft. You know, you look at Eberflus's time with the Colts, their highest pick was Quentin Nelson. Now I know Matt was involved on the defensive side of the ball, but hey, still he was part of an organization on a team building philosophy that was all about build your trenches through the draft, right? So for me, you know, it all comes down to the fact that you dip your toes into free agency, but build through the draft for this because that's the way you're going to get a consistent starting five. Because what you don't want to do is dish out big money to an offensive lineman because those contracts are going up too on the open market and then have it just completely blow up in your face. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, ideally you want to build this thing up through the draft. But, I mean, you look at the Bears, like, with how little they spent this offseason to build this team and how much money they have available to them next year. Like, they're going to have to spend. Like, because there is a spending floor um, in the NFL to where you have to spend a certain number. I, I don't know what the exact number is, but there's a certain amount of money you have to spend through, I think it's like a three-year period. Um, and the Bears, you know, with how little they spent this year, um, they're going to have to spend a ton of money this this year um, just to just to get that to that to that floor, basically. Um, and not to mention, you know, all the talents and all the holes on this roster right now. So I think they are going to spend in free agency. It's just a matter of who they spend on. Now, like you said before, like, when we're looking at guys that are for sure building blocks, I, I, I agree with you. Like Tevin Jenkins is the only for sure one for me as well. But I wouldn't rule out that this regime really likes Braxton Jones as a long-term piece because Jones, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but we have to remember that he's a fifth-round pick and he's a rookie. So offensive linemen, typically it takes these guys a couple years to really hit their stride as NFL players. You know, it's not uncommon for the first two, even three years of an offensive lineman's career to be really shaky out, out the gate. And then we see that year three, year four breakout happen, um, and they really start to come into their own, own as players. Um, and, you know, I, there's a ton of exa- examples like that. When you look at this free agency class, for instance, like Caleb McGarry, uh, if you asked me last year whether I would have been interested in signing him in free agency and right tackle for the Atlanta Falcons, I would have said no way because his first three years were rough in Atlanta um, as a first-round pick. But you look at what he's done this year with the Falcons, um, he's had a really, really, really good year for them in Atlanta. And I mean, I, I was watching him play a little bit against uh, the bears this past week um, when I could pay attention to just him uh, for the Falcons. And yeah, he, he looks pretty good as a, as a right, as a starting right tackle. So we have to remember that it does take these young offensive linemen um, a few years to really, you know, get their legs under them in the NFL and that, you know, year three, year four breakouts do happen. And it's not like Braxton Jones has been like terrible anyway, either. He's been pretty solid for a rookie offensive tackle. I know PFF great has him graded pretty well. Uh, I know a lot of that has to do with his run blocking. His pass protection is, you know, a work in progress, but he, he has shown some development there. So I wouldn't be surprised if this coaching staff and this regime feels like, you know, they're going to give Braxton Jones maybe another year um, as a starter to see if he can take that year two year, you know, a, a year to jump basically, and then kind of evaluate whether they need to upgrade from that spot going forward. Um, you look at the rest of this offensive line, like left guard, Cody Whitehair is still under contract for a couple more years after this season. And, 
you know, while you could move on from Cody White here, um, if you June 1st designate him uh, this offseason and spread out his cap, his dead money a little bit, um, which would still be a pretty significant amount of dead money still on his contract. Um, you know, I look at the free agency list and there aren't a ton of left guards available that, you know, excite me that much. So I'm not sure how this regime feel about, you know, maybe they just stick with Cody White here until maybe they find a replacement in the draft for him. That could be an option as well. But I look at this thing like I, I think you've, you know, this regime will probably feel confident with Tevin Jenkins at right guard. They might give Braxton Jones another chance at left tackle to kind of see what he can do in his second year. Um, and they might stick with Cody White here one more year just to see because, um, you know, he is still, you know, he's not anything special anymore, but he is still, you know, decent at that left guard spot. But I think center and right tackle are the two spots where you have to upgrade those positions. And I think you have to do that in free agency because you can add talent still in the draft while still upgrading those spots in free agency as well. And I look at, I, I think Elton Jenkins makes a ton of sense for this this Bears regime if they want to go that direction. Like if Elton Jenkins somehow gets away from the Packers, which I think is likely because the Packers, like you look at their situation, they are in a rough cap situation. You know, Rogers extension really hasn't kicked in yet. Is, is That's something that a lot of people haven't, you know, realize that Roger uh, signed a huge extension uh, this past off season, you know, next year is going to be the first year of that. And from now on, like his, his, his dead money is just going to be insane for uh, the Packers moving forward. They have a lot of other decisions to make, you know, they have to pay Rashawn Gary at some point and uh, Rashawn Gary is one of the best edge rushers in football. They have to figure out whether they have some money to sign him. Um, and, you know, they have some other um, pieces across the board. They have some holes that they have to fill across their roster. They still don't have a wide receiver. They still have a wide receiver problem. They have a tight end problem. Um, you know, they have other needs across the offensive line that need to be filled. Um, defense, you know, a lot of those, a lot of their players like Andrew Amos, he's coming up for them as a free agent. So they're going to have to fill a couple safety spots probably because Darnell Savage has been pretty bad for them as safety as well. Like there, there are a lot of needs for this Packers team. So I'm not sure, given where they're at from a cap standpoint, whether they're going to be even have to have the room to keep in Elton Jenkins long term. So they may he may just hit the market for um, them. And you know, if I think you know, I think that if Elton Jenkins hits the market, he's one of those rare players where he can play all five positions on the, on the offensive line at a pretty effective level. Um, I could see a situation where Ryan Poles, um, Luke Getzey, they come together and say, "Hey, you know." Braxton Jones, we're going to give him another year at left tackle. Cody Whitehair, he's solid at left guard. We know what we have in Tevin Jenkins at right guard. Jenkins, we can put him in at right tackle for now, and he can be you know, a stud right tackle for us in, in the meantime until maybe we find someone that's like a long-term piece for us there. You know, Worst-case scenario, though, you know what Elton Jenkins is as a guard. He's a pretty dang good guard. So I, I think Elton Jenkins, he's going to be um, probably their, this regime's top choice in free agency if he does hit the market. Um, and then at center, like there are some options at center that they could look to, um, they, they could, you know, sign a center here for agency. The one guy that's on the top of my list, list right now is Ethan Pochich, who um, kind of an unknown um, going into this year. You know, he was a draft pick of the Seattle Seahawks, but things didn't really work out for him there. But, you know, he went to the Cleveland Browns this year as a vet minimum signing. And he's been phenomenal this year. I think he's out with an injury right now. He just came down with like some kind of a knee injury. But before he got injured, uh, he's been one of the best centers in football this year. So, and centers usually aren't that expensive on the open market. 
and especially Ethan Poach's position where he's kind of a one-year wonder at this point. Um, you know, he could be a guy you bring in there. And I think even if he regresses a little bit, you know, he's still going to be an upgrade over a, a guy like Sam Mustaford, who hasn't been all that great this year for the Bears. So I, I think those are two easy signings that you can make right there. And then when you get to the, to the draft, I think, you know, offensive line has to be a priority in the draft once again. Like, I think they still need to add depth at tackle because, you know, even if you, you bring in a guy like Elton Jenkins um, in free agency and you keep a guy like Braxton Jones as your starter, you have Larry Borum as and Alex Leatherwood as other young tackles on this roster, but you can still add more depth there, more versatile pieces for this offensive line. And I think they need to get younger in the interior because they need to find a replacement for Cody Whitehair long-term. Um, and, you know, there's not, there's nothing wrong with getting another center on this roster too to develop behind, you know, if they go out and sign a guy in free agency. So I, I think, you know, the draft is going to have to be a top priority and, you know, speaking of the drafts, when we look at the uh, um, outcome of this latest loss to the Falcons here, um, the Bears now, they officially have a – well, not officially, but if we're projecting this thing out, if the season ended today, the Bears have a top three pick um, going into the 2023 NFL draft. So that's big for a lot of reasons here. You know, the Bears, if they wanted to send, spend it on the top offensive lineman in the draft, they could certainly do that. But there are going to be a lot of options, I think, now that the Bears are in that top three discussion – area so i think that goes that's kind of a nice way to segue into our next segment here uh, for this podcast you said you know now that the bears could have potentially a top three pick here in this next draft what do you think the strategy should be for them what, what are some of the options that you think are available to the bears now that they have that they are in that position this high in the draft well, I think really the Bears have this major advantage, right? You are a team that's already got your young quarterback in place. The good news is you've got some youth on both sides of the football that you hope is going to take another step forward next offseason. But the reality for the Bears is this, is they there's only two options. You're either standing pat where you are at third overall and taking a stud such as a Jalen Carter or a Will Anderson or even a Miles Murphy or a Brian Breezy for the defensive side of the ball. For the offensive side of the ball, I would say do target one of these offensive linemen like a Peter Skaronsky, Western and there's people that don't have Skaronsky as a top five pick, but hey, we've got a long way to go. The combine's going to come around. You're going to have pro days. Guys are going to fly up and down the board. It's going to be so fluid. So that's one way. And then I think the second way is this, right, is that you trade down and you go ahead and make a deal with a quarterback needy team. What's the advantage of this? Well, there's three signal callers in this class that are guaranteed to be first round picks. That's CJ Stroud from Ohio state, Bryce young from Alabama, as well as Will Levis from Kentucky, right? Back in August or September, you could argue that there were four or five, but it's really materializing now to, I think be three guaranteed quarterbacks in the first round. So you need to trade back with a team like the Carolina Panthers, for example, who are a quarterback needy team. They don't have the quarterback of the future in place. They can afford to kind of move up somewhat and mortgage their future. And so I think in the process, what you do is you either get multiple first round picks or depending on how far you move back, you are getting multiple first round picks as well as some second round picks in 2023, as well as, additional picks in 2024 to kind of help you round out your draft classes over the next two years. Now, the Bears are still in a predicament because if a player like a Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter is there, by all means, 
the extra draft capital is nice in one sense, but Anderson are, are going to be day one impact players, right? So you go ahead and you kind of just play it by ear. And I would say this, right? For this team, your first round pick has to be a lineman, just based off what we're seeing on both sides of the ball, because the offensive and defensive line are just getting dominated so easily that it's at a point where it's just like, you really don't have an offensive or defensive line for the most part. You're just trotting the five best guys out there that you know are better than anything else that you have on the roster. So for me, right, trading down is so appealing, but if younger Stroud, I'm sorry, if Carter or Anderson are there, then you by all means pull the trigger and do not hesitate because there's going to be other opportunities to trade back. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, it would be nice to get a King's Ransom for, you know, a team willing to come up to get a quarterback here. I, th- I think that's probably the ideal situation in many years. But, I mean, like you said, um, it, it would be really tough to pass up on a Jalen Carter or a Will Anderson if they're available for the taking for you, if you're, you know, the Bears here. Now, if the Bears are maybe at that number two spot, um, you know, let's say they, they somehow lose enough to where, you know, because the teams ahead of them right now are the Texans at number one, and I don't think the Texans are winning another game this year. So Texans are going to be number one, I think. The Carolina Panthers, though, could play themselves out of that number two spot um, just ahead of the Bears. So if the Bears somehow lose the rest of their games and they're in that number two spot um, in this upcoming draft, um, I think it'd be really appealing for them. I, and they'd be crazy not to consider trading down in that spot because, you know, Bryce Young's going to go number one and the next quarterback on the board is going to be CJ Stroud. And they're going to be a lot of teams, I think, willing to move up for CJ Stroud uh, because, you know, he does have, you know, some pretty good traits as a, as a quarterback prospect. And I think he's clearly the number two guy in this class. So, you know, if Bryce Young and CJ Stroud are off the board by the time that the Bears are on the clock at number three, that kind of limits, I think, their trade-down um, options there because, you know, while I think there are a lot of fans in the NFL for Will Levis, Will Levis and, you know, Anthony Richardson out of Florida, who's kind of come on as the season has gone along, um, there are going to be some guys that – teams that want to move up for those guys, I think, in this draft. I don't think it's going to be the same level of appetite for those guys as you would for a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. So if they're at that number two spot – then I think you have to find a way to kind of trade down there and get a King's ransom because you could really set yourself up with a ton of picks there and still be in a position where you're in that kind of top five range to get maybe one of these top two defensive players. Um, So yeah, if they're number two, then I think they have to trade down almost because there are going to be teams calling um, to move up and get, you know, one of these quarterbacks at number three or number four though, I'm assuming that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are off the board at that point. I think at that point, you're probably not going to get a ton of offers for trading down in that spot. I, th- I think the best thing for the Bears then in that situation would be um, at number three overall, I think Jalen Carter is probably the pick, and you're feeling really good about it. And, you know, it's it's kind of a toss-up right now, right, now, right? Because Willie Anderson and Jalen Carter, you know, they're very similar prospects, I think, in this draft class where both are clearly the best at their position. And I think we feel – you know, both of us feel pretty good that they're going to be all pro talents for a long time in the NFL. But I think with, you know, we saw it this last off season, you know, clearly this regime places an importance on that three tech position. Um, 
And Jalen Carter has all the makings of a dominant three tech at the next level. And Will Anderson, for as great of a prospect as he is, you know, I'm not sure he's the best fit for what his coaching staff wants at, at defensive end. You know, Eberflus' defense, you look at it in the past, he loves having kind of these hybrid defensive ends that can defend the run, um, kind of these bigger body guys that can defend the run on the edge and then kick inside the pass rush from the interior as well. And I'm not sure if Will Anderson, he's kind of a smaller guy for an edge rusher. I'm not sure if he's the best fit for that style of defensive end. Um, there are some better fits for that in this draft. I, I look at Miles Murphy out of Clemson would probably be a better fit um, for that style of defensive end. But Jalen Carter, you don't have to worry about his fit. Like He's a perfect fit for what they're looking for at that three-tech position because he is quick. He can penetrate up the field. Um, you know, He's an explosive pass rusher. He can get into the backfield and just – disrupt everything um he does a lot of things that this coaching staff looks for at that defensive tackle spot so i think at number three those two quarterbacks are off the board i think jalen carter's the pick and you're feeling really good about it because um i think he's gonna be a future pro you know perennial pro bowl talent at that defensive tackle position and i mean yeah this this bears team they have to start building out this offensive roster around justin fields I, i understand that um but you know, to me, the value just isn't there for a wide receiver, isn't quite there for an offensive lineman. Um, and there are other avenues, like we've talked about, to address those spots in free agency and later on in the draft. So, um, you know, the, at the same time, like you just can't you can't pass up on premium talent like that. I think there's a clear gap between Anderson Carter and some of these other prospects at other positions. And that's just the way that's just the way I see it at this point. So. Um, I think we're both in agreement here, though, you know, whether it's Anderson or Carter, you know, if the Bears aren't trading down, those two have to be the pick. And, you know, that's a good spot to be in, because if your options are between getting a King's ransom to move down and get a ton of draft picks to build your, you know, to restock this roster or getting a premium defensive talent, like, you know, there's no wrong answer there, I think, you know, both of those options are uh, pretty good ones, I think. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So let's move on uh, to kind of our final topic for today's episode, and that's you know looking ahead to next week's game. Uh, the Bears are going to be on the road to play the New York Jets. And the biggest storyline for this one is, assuming that Justin Fields is healthy enough to play, we have a matchup between two quarterbacks from the 2021 draft class, and obviously Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, um, who is a starter for the New York Jets. And there's been a lot of talk this this past week because, you know, and we're going to get into it here. Uh, Zach Wilson just absolutely struggling in his second year here for 
the New York Jets. Um, and, you know, there was this whole firestorm on social media this past week where, you know, the, the Jets, they just played the Patriots. They had a miserable day on offense. Zach Wilson was awful in that game. Um, they only scored three points. Um, the Jets had more punts than Zach Wilson had completions in that game. So that just tells you how inept they were from a passing game standpoint. And Zach Wilson, after the game, was asked, you know, do you feel like you let the defense down? Because defense for the Jets is incredible. Um, and he was asked, like, do you feel like you let the defense down while scoring three points in this game? And Zach Wilson said, just flat out, nope. Don't feel like we let them down. And that just, as tone depth as it is, like, one, like, yeah, you are letting them down by only scoring three points in a close game like that. But, um, yeah, not it's not looking great for Zach Wilson in New York right now. So I think this gives – this allows us to go back to our pre-draft evaluations of these quarterbacks going into it. Um, you say I'll start with you. Like, what was your – going back to that 2021 draft, kind of, kind of putting your mindset back there, you know, what was your evaluation on Wilson? How did you have him compared to some of these other quarterbacks in last year's class? And, you know, what are you seeing right now from him that – um, you think is a problem for him in New York right now? Yeah, well, going back to that draft, my rankings have not changed a bit, or they haven't changed slightly, I should say. I had Trevor Lawrence at one, Justin Fields at two, I had Zach Wilson at three, Trey Lance at four, and Mac Jones at number five. I think ultimately when you look at it, right, the only major shift in the rankings has been fields at one Lawrence at two when I look at Zach Wilson well guess what he has dropped down to quarterback four for me simply because the jury's still out on Trey Lance we've kind of seen what Mac Jones can do when Mac Jones is playing at a high level but Zach's near the bottom or at the very bottom simply because when you look at him right you're looking at a quarterback that's basically a one-year wonder whose processing is way off he just can't read defenses which then feeds into the inability of him to be able to make right decisions as well as make the right reads and keep the Jets moving down the field I look at the core that's around Zach. You have some really good running backs. You have some really good wide receivers and Elijah Moore. Pretty solid tight end group, too. It's very clear that a lot of this is on Zach. Now, part of it is simply because he's in a situation where, you know, Joe Douglas and Robert Saleh, they don't necessarily take no for an answer. They basically said, hey, Zach, it's up to you to be able to go out and to get this thing done. But the reality is that Zach coming out of BYU, I remember being comparisons that were being made to guys like a Patrick Mahomes. I think it's very clear to me that those comparisons were never, ever warranted because he's not the freakish athlete that Patrick Mahomes is, right? He doesn't have the intangibles and the traits that Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers do, right? It was kind of just this like feel good, look good type story that was hyped up by the national media. And I think we're seeing now, like, I understand that the injury Zach had last year as well as to start this year hurt his development. But even then, he's been back for a while now, and you're still seeing the same issues pop up. Decision-making, pocket presence, accuracy, you know, inability to process, 
what you're really seeing, I think, is an extremely limited quarterback who doesn't even have mobility to be able to bail him out when the pocket begins to break down. Yeah, I mean, Zach Wilson, he's legitimately been the worst starter in the NFL this year. And I mean, there's a variety of reasons for why that's the case. You talk about the injuries potentially hurting his development. But, you know, it sucks for Jets fans because this Jets team around him is legitimately, like, really freaking good. Like, if they had just average quarterback play, they would be in it for the AFC discussion. Like, they wouldn't be on the Bills or the Chiefs level, but they'd be that next team, you know, in that Dolphins class teams where, yeah, you don't feel like they're going to beat the Chiefs or the Bills in the playoffs, but they're going to give them a run for for their money, certainly. And, you know, that defense is phenomenal. Um, it's, it's amazing the work that Robert Sella has done to rebuild that defense and Joe Douglas has done. Um, they're loaded at all three levels of that unit. They're one of the best units in football. Um, so they have that to support a young quarterback. And here's the kicker, like Zach Wilson for all of his struggles, like his situation is really good for a young quarterback. I feel like, like they, they've had some injuries in the offensive line, but they've been able to, you know, sustain some level of competent, solid play on the offensive line for the most part. You look at all the weapons they have on offense, you know, whether it's Garrett Wilson, uh, Corey Davis, uh, Elijah Moore in the slot, who, you know, wants out because he knows that Zach Wilson can't play. Uh, they brought in a couple of tight ends this offseason. You know, Brees Hall before the injury, you know, he was, he was looking like one of the best running backs in football. You know, they have – uh, Matt LaFleur's brother, Mike LaFleur, as the offensive coordinator, you know, he's I think he's a pretty s- smart offensive mind coming from that Shanahan tree. Um, so there is a lot going for Zach Wilson where he should be showing some progress here by this point in time. He should be getting better. And the fact that he's not instead is getting worse as the year has gone along. That is worrisome because, you know, Zach Wilson, if you look at his first couple starts, he did look like he was making some strides his first couple of starts. But the the wheels have really come off the rails here um, over the past like month or so. I think defense have kind of figured out that you know there isn't really consi- a consistent process with Zach Wilson. This is something where I look back at my pre-draft evaluations, and you know I think there was an element of fool's gold because you look at Zach Wilson as a prospect, he only had that one really productive year at BYU, and you know it came against a very soft schedule. Um, that he played against, you know, the one good team he played against that year, Coastal Carolina, he did not have his best game in that one. And that should have been a sign. That should have been a red flag right away that, you know, the one, you know, quality opponent that he did play against, he did not play well in that game. So there was a, a little bit of, you know, bump slang in that season where he was taking advantage of, you know, playing a lower level of competition, doing well there, um, but also you look at his game, you know, he was never the greatest quarterback in the pocket in structure at BYU. You know, what was the main selling point of Zach Wilson in college? It was all the out of structure stuff, you know, you know, rolling out out of the pocket, you know, throwing the ball off platform, uh, making these ridiculous throws down the field that look nice in a highlight reel. But um, from a consistency standpoint, we're not seeing, you know, he wasn't necessarily the greatest processor at BYU. Um, he wasn't someone that went through his progressions very well at BYU. And that's something that you kind of overlooked, at least I did, because I felt like, you know, from my evaluation standpoint, because I had him as the second quarterback in that class behind Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields was my third quarterback. You know, I felt confident about Zach Wilson's, you know, I, what I perceived as a feel for the game that I felt like 
he could develop all the easy stuff in terms of playing and structure, processing, pocket presence. I felt like he could get better at that as he got more experience. Clearly, that's not the case. He looks lost out there uh, for the Jets. He's missing easy throws. Um, the accuracy, like you mentioned, just is not <laughs> nothing. There are so many, you know, there were there are dudes running open, wide open in that Jets offense, and he's just airmailing them by five yards over their heads. It's just, it's not pretty to look at. And then, you know, bailing out of clean pockets, not handling pressure very well. That kind of goes back to level competition because, you know, Jack Wilson in college didn't have to deal with a ton of pressure on him. You know, he had good offensive lines at BYU. He went against weak opponents that didn't have great pass rushes. So he got to sit back there all day and not have to deal with, you know, a ton of, you know, dirty pockets. And I know Justin Fields didn't necessarily have to do that either at Ohio State, but, there were games that, that Justin Fields played in, in college where, you know, he did have a legitimate pass rush he was going up against where he did have to maneuver against some dirty pockets there and play well and take some hits and, you know, you know not bail out of clean pockets very often. And Zach Wilson never had that his last year in college. So I think this is a learning experience for me in terms of, you know, going back and, you know, how do I evaluate these quarterbacks moving forward? Um you know, it's not just about the highlight plays. It's about the consistent process that these guys have. And I think we're starting to see that, you know, that consistent process is so much more important than what a guy can do. You know, what a guy can do is great, but if you're not able to maximize your ability consistently on a play-to-play basis, it really doesn't mean anything. So, yeah, it's it's alarming uh, for Zach Wilson in New York right now. And, you know, if he doesn't have a good game against this Bears defense, which might be the worst in football right now, then yeah, I think it's panic time for the Jets because he he's very close to that bust category right now. It's not looking good for him. But that leads us into our preview for this upcoming game against the Jets. And let's just get right into it here. Uh, you say, what's your main storyline for this one? Yeah, I think really the main storyline is this: is how is this Bears offense going to go ahead and perform against? one of the best defenses in the NFL, right? You look at it, and the Jets do have one of the top groups on defense. They've got multiple first-round picks, such as Jermaine Johnson being one of them. So really now it becomes a question of not even Justin Fields' health, but we've seen what this defense – I'm sorry, what this offense can do against okay or mediocre defenses, right? They've been able to figure out a way to move the ball – but now can you do it against one of the best groups in the NFL? And it's not just Justin, right? It's can the wide receivers offensive line, can the tight end, can the running game be consistent enough so that on plays where there are passes called and meant to be passes, Justin can actually get the ball out instead of having to consistently run away and take a broken play from a five yard loss to a 20 or 30 yard gain nothing wrong with that but at some point I think as an offense right you have to be able to allow your quarterback to sit back there let the routes develop let the passing game develop and just let the QB do his thing and get into a rhythm because the Bears haven't found that ideal rhythm this year you ready showtime on May 3rd summer starts with the fall guy what are you doing later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. 
Yeah, I'd say for me, the main storyline is like, what's the health status of Justin Fields? I think that's the main, that's going to be the main thing going into this because we don't know at this point because Justin Fields, he has, it sounds like it's a separated shoulder, which is not as severe as a dislocated shoulder. I'm not a doctor or medical person whatsoever. So I don't know the difference between the two, but that's besides the point. But, you know, first it comes out that Justin Fields is day to day. But then Eberflus makes this weird comment where, yeah, Justin Fields is day-to-day, but his injury could be season-ending still. That that doesn't register whatsoever for me. Like, if he's day-to-day, how is this injury, you know, potentially season-ending? Because if it's a day-to-day injury, I would assume that it's something that can be managed, like, day-to-day. Like, you know, one day it's going to be, you know, good to go. Another day it's, you know, not going to be good to go, like, that's what the assumption of day-to-day is. If it's a season-ending injury, I would assume that it's something that can't be managed on a day-to-day basis. So for him to say that was just weird to me. I, I think it's going to be telling, you know, what happens during practices this week, whether Justin Fields, you know, is participating or not. If we're getting DMPs all throughout the week, then, yeah, I'm sure that he's probably not going to be playing in this one. But, you know, who knows? Like, it could be a situation where he doesn't play in practice and they just try to get him you know, it's some level of comfort for the game to get him to play. I almost think at this point that, like, you know, this Jets defense, they're so freaking good, man. Like, in that front four, they they have one of the nastiest front fours in all football. I almost think that you'd be better off just, you know, making Trevor Simeon the sacrificial lamb for this one and get Justin Fields healthy. If not for the Packers game, then through the bye week and get him healthy for the Eagles game after the bye week because – you know, it's a situation where you have to start thinking about the long term here. Like Justin Fields has nothing left to prove this year. He's clearly your franchise quarterback that you're building around moving forward. Like, why are we putting this guy at risk for further injury um, in a season where we're not going anywhere? And honestly, it'd be it'd be better off to put Trevor Simeon out there if he's not healthy because you're probably going to lose the game if that happens. So, um, you know, that's where I'm at with it. But I think it's going to be the main storyline is, you know, Justin Fields, what's his health? And, you know, how is that going to affect things? Because if Justin Fields isn't out there, then this Bears team has no chance of winning. Because even if Zach Wilson is absolute garbage and, you know, there's a possibility that Zach Wilson is atrocious once again, like I have a hard time seeing this offense for the Bears doing anything. It's this Jets defense that doesn't involve Justin Fields just being a superhero out there, um, which, you know, it could be compromised because of the injuries. So uh, let's get in. Let's you know wrap this up by uh, predicting this game. You say it and giving me your X factor. So let's start with you. What's your prediction for this one, and uh, who's your X factor for this game? My prediction for this one is simple and straightforward. The Bears' losing streak extends to five games. They lose to the Jets twenty to fourteen as a result of a late turnover forced by New York's defense. Once again, I think the X factor is going to be offensive coordinator Luke Getze. The question is this is can Luke inside of three and four minutes at the end of every quarter, can he start calling plays that are going to keep the ball moving, but also ensure that the Bears offense doesn't look so predictable? If not, then I think the talk about Luke being a head coach next year is going to be put to bed. Yeah, I have the Jets winning this one as well. Uh, 20 to 10 is going to be my score. But if if Justin Fields can't play, I probably might say 20 to 3 because, you know, I'm not very confident in a Trevor Simeon run offense here against a really, really dangerous 
you know, defense that the Jets have. Like, you just look at this offense right now, you know, Justin Fields is banked up. Your best running back, Clue Herbert, is, you know, out for a significant amount of time. So you don't have that explosive development in the backfield if those two cannot play. Um, they're still trying to figure out things at wide receiver. You know, they still have a lot of moving pieces at offensive line. That just doesn't give me a lot of confidence against the Jets defense where Quinn Williams, he's been one of the best players. Um, he's been one of the best defensive players in football this year. Um, that entire front is just filled with guys that just get after you. Um, Sauce Gardner, he might be the best He's one of the top five corners in football um, right away as a rookie. And, you know, Reed on the other side of him, you know, he's no he's no, no scrub either on the other side. So they have a lot of talent in the secondary. Like, and Salah is just doing a great job with these guys right now, scheming everything up. Um, that You know, teams are not able to score on this Jets defense. They're able to get after quarterbacks nonstop. So I just don't think this offense is going to, you know, unless Luke gets, he can scheme around it. I just don't – I'm not very optimistic about them. And, you know, for as bad as Zach Wilson has played um, this year for the Jets, like, you know, this Bears defense, I, I have no confidence in them being able to stop anybody um, at this point. And I think the Jets, you know, Zach Wilson's probably going to not play well for them, but he's probably going to do just enough. Or this Jets offense, I should say, it's going to do just enough to pull out a win here. Maybe the Jets, you know, have a defensive touchdown or something to score some points, but I think it's going to be an ugly game of football to watch, especially if Justin Fields doesn't play. I, I am, you know, excited. If Justin Fields does play, I wonder, you know, if he's going to be extra motivated in this one, though, to kind of prove the Jets wrong, you know, kind of similar to Patrick Mahomes, what he did against the Bears when uh, in 2019, because um, Mitch Trubisky got drafted over him. It'd be, it'd be really fun to see Justin Fields, you know, sweep, you know, all the rest of the young 2021 quarterbacks this year that he's played against. So, that would be fun if that happens. I, you know, if he can't go though, obviously that's not in play. Um, as for my X factor, I'm going to go with, I think the offensive line is going to be the X factor in this one because it really comes down to can this offensive line open up run lanes? Can they pass protect more importantly though? If they can't pass protect like this, this game's over because the Jets have a dangerous pass rush. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum here. Um, so that's, if it's a situation where whoever's playing a quarterback, whether it's Simeon or, or fields, if they're under duress the entire game, um, it's the, this bears offense is not going to be able to move the ball. So I think the offensive line needs to have their best game of the year. If they don't, don't, it's, it's going to be a rough one for them. Um, so with that said, that's going to do it for us here at the Pittsburgh polls podcast. Make sure to like, rate, subscribe, um, review the podcast. Um, at Blue Wire. Make sure to also check out the Bear Report podcast with Zach and Aaron as well, um, previewing a lot of things for uh, these upcoming Bears games. Um, you know, as for us here, make sure to give us a follow on social media on Twitter at Pixter Polls. Uh, you say, where can our listeners follow you and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter as well as Instagram at Usaid Koshal. You can check out my work on the Bear Report. I have a NFC North recap dropping each week. I've got a couple mock drafts coming out at the end of each month because November is quickly approaching. And then just some general storylines and articles, pre- and post-game articles about the Bears. 
Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give those read for you. Say it as for me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work at the bear port as well. Going to be coming out with my next uh, tracking the trenches uh, shortly here, recapping this latest game against the Falcons. And again, keep an eye out for the bear port YouTube channel, trying to get something out on Justin Fields on the bear port YouTube channels for you guys to check out as well. If you want to give that a watch. Um, but other than that, everyone, um, you know, Thanksgiving, by the time this episode out, Thanksgiving is going to be here. And I just want to wish everyone, whether it's our listeners and everyone, um, to your families and friends back home, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, you know, a good start to this holiday season. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to speaking to you guys uh, next week following this next Bears game. And until next time, Bears fans, bear down. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.